You are not your thoughts. You are the one hearing them. And so if you're hearing a lot of thoughts about how you should be doing things better, about how they need to be perfect, just notice how much energy that's taking, right? And if there's a way to begin to resign even just 1% from the role of being the perfection czar, what that could look like. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It's your gal Carly, and I'm so glad that we get to be in conversation here together today. Whether this is the first time you've ever tuned in or you have been here for the 43 episodes that have come before this one, I really appreciate your presence in this conversation. I know that you could be in many places right now, and yet you are daring to show up and refill your professional cup. And I cannot tell you how many women tell me that they want to reclaim their time or their health or have better relationships, and yet they don't do what you're doing, which is daring to carve out the time to make sure that that happens. So I want to tell you a sweet and very old story. There's different versions of this in many cultures around the world, but this particular version looks like this. There was a mother who was in dire straits. She'd been really struggling financially for a long time, and she was the single mom of three children. She had an older child who was 12 and a middle child and a brand new infant. And one morning she went into the cupboard to make breakfast and she realized there was but one egg left. And she didn't know who she should feed. And so she went to the village elder and she said to the elder, I don't know who to give the egg to. Do I give the egg to my eldest child because perhaps they can use it to do some work today and bring home some money so we can have dinner? Do I give it to my middle child because she's so often overlooked? Or do I give it to the infant who's so young and clearly needs the nourishment? What do I do? And the elder turns to the mother and she says, my dear, you eat the egg. There is no family without you. You are the one who must be nourished in order to pass on nourishment to those around you. And I share this story because I cannot tell you how many women find themselves in the position of having a certain amount of energy or focus and trying to figure out who they should be giving it to throughout the day. I want to give you an example of what this looks like. So I've got a client who's worked in corporate environment for almost two decades now. She likes the company that she works for. But she's been stuck in this cycle where throughout the day, she is so often interrupted by her coworkers that need emotional support that it's really starting to mess with the time that she has to get to her actual job. So people will pop in because they've had a tough day or because maybe they're not getting along with the coworker and they'll vent to her. And part of her really likes being in that role. She likes being the sounding board. She certainly likes being able to help people. 
But it's happening so habitually that she ends up staying late at work these days. So instead of leaving at five, she's leaving at closer to seven. And by then she's so exhausted. She's so hungry. She doesn't have anybody else at home that's going to cook meals for her. So she stops and gets some type of quick takeout or eats a bag of chips for dinner on the sofa, which doesn't give her very much energy. She watches Netflix until she falls asleep. At some point she'll wander up to her bed And she'll wake up in the morning, tired, feeling behind, and start the whole process over again. And when we first started working together, she was just so ready to get out of this cycle and couldn't understand exactly how she had gotten herself there. How did she become the unofficial emotional support, like the therapy animal, for everybody within her office and often? When I work with women who find themselves in this position, if you are the go-to person in your career, you're also the go-to person in your social circle, whether that's your family or your friends. You've become the sounding board. And so my intention for our conversation here today is to share with you some of the accidental roles that women take on that are not officially within your job description that end up zapping your time and energy so that you've got like these leftover crumbs of energy at the end of the day that you now need to apply to your important work and it's not getting the attention that you want or now it's taking longer or riddled with more mistakes because you're not your fullest self. And I've also got some great research that's gonna bust some of the myths that make us think that women should be taking on certain roles, that we're actually more suited for certain roles than men. This is some really exciting research that might reorient the way you see your role within your family or your friend circle and certainly within your work environment. So specifically, what we're going to do is we're going to go over the foundational mindset that allows women to quit the unofficial jobs that are draining you so that you can step into the role you are really made to be doing. And then we're going to talk about what some of those roles are. Specifically, there's six roles that women are often doing in addition to their actual jobs. These are roles I see on a habitual basis within my practice. And we're going to talk about how to resign with grace from these unofficial roles. And then we're going to talk about the one role that you can promote yourself to instead. Now, before we dive in, this is the part of the show where I get to give a shout out, which you know I really look forward to. And today, I want to give an opportunity to give a shout out directly to you. We are about to record a new series of episodes for Messy and Magnificent, and nothing would mean more to me than getting to say a hello to you in an upcoming episode. So head on over to iTunes, just because that's one of the few podcast platforms that lets people leave written reviews leave a review. Put your real name or pseudonym or whatever you'd like me to refer to you as live on an episode. Tell me one thing that has landed for you in an episode you've heard and feel free to ask me any questions you have too. If there's an episode you would love to hear me go deeper into around a topic we've discussed before or perhaps there's something we haven't spoken to yet, I would love to do that with you. So please head on over to iTunes leave a review, and I could be giving you a shout out on an episode very soon. All right, let's talk first about that foundational mindset that allows women to resign from the unofficial jobs that they find themselves doing that are actually draining them. Ready? This one could be, you could almost consider it like a mantra. Your purpose is not to sacrifice yourself. 
I'm going to say that again. Right? The primary meaning in your life is not to be a business and personal liquidation. Those liquidation businesses, they're a model that is designed to deplete itself, right? To get rid of everything in-house until there's nothing left. And I cannot tell you how many women are expecting themselves to have careers that are run as if they were personal liquidation businesses where we could give everything away all day long. And then if we're lucky and we have a little bit left over at the end of the day, then we can use that for our actual roles. So the mindset that's really important here is that women who are able to do well in the big three, career, health, and relationships, they learn to discern what is a distraction from what gives life to either you or your career. I'm going to say that again because I didn't plan this, but it definitely rhymes. We must learn to discern. We're learning to discern what is a distraction from what you actually value or from what it is that you are prioritizing. So that once you know what your intention is for the day, you get out your machete and you begin to ruthlessly cut back anything that is robbing you of your ability to do the thing that you are actually here to do today. Now, here's what's important to understand about this before we talk about the six roles that are unofficial job descriptions that a lot of women are doing in addition to their job is that when you consider resigning from roles that are zapping the life out of you, that are sucking your time and energy and depleting you, that are treating you like a business and personal liquidation, you are going to brush up against some major cultural conditioning here. You might wonder things like, oh my gosh, if I say no to this, am I being the B word? Or am I being stingy here? Or a lot of women worry, oh my gosh, am I being selfish? Or are people going to think I'm being selfish? Or maybe I should just be flexible with this thing this one time. Like, it's no big deal. It's a little bit more than I want to do, but it's just this one thing. (laughs) I want you to keep an eye out for any of those thoughts. Just notice them. And then ask yourself, before you believe them, if they are actually true. Are you the B word? Are you being selfish? Are you a stingy human being? Are you entirely inflexible and expecting everybody to operate around your schedule? Just notice if any of these cultural beliefs, any of these thoughts that you might have absorbed because they're around us on a pretty regular basis are accurate or not. Women who rise professionally know that they are not their thoughts. They are the one hearing them. And they learn to discern what is true and what is a distraction, both internally, meaning noticing what thoughts are true and which are distracting thoughts that keep us stuck in the same cycle of doing too much, and externally, right? What are external distractions, like obvious ones, dings and bings going off on your cell phone when you're supposed to be working, or Facebook reminders popping up when you're trying to send an email, or other external things like people walking into your office unannounced or calling you when you could be having dinner with your family or with a friend, right? So just keep an eye and an ear out for any of those thoughts because the foundational understanding of what will allow you to reclaim your time and energy is learning to discern. Your purpose is not to sacrifice yourself. And if you need a little bit of help with this, if you're noticing that these thoughts are bubbling up on a regular basis, you might want to go back to episode 22 that we did with Dr. Valerie Rain around the patriarchy stress disorder. She really explained the way that some thoughts are actually encoded within our DNA, within our epigenetics, 
that are not ours, and they're important to be able to discern. They're important to be able to notice, oh my gosh, this might not actually be me thinking this. This might be some cultural conditioning or some things that have been passed down to me genetically. So keep an eye out for these things as we learn to discern what roles are yours and which aren't. So let's talk about six unofficial roles that women are often doing in addition to their actual jobs. In no particular order here, I want you to keep an ear out for any of these that you have personal experience with. Maybe you can relate to doing some of these roles. Role number one is being the zookeeper of everyone else's emotions. And I say zookeeper very intentionally because trying to wrangle the emotional response of people throughout the day is like trying to chase around a baboon who's covered in Vaseline, right? It's slippery. You never quite know what you're going to get. People will often wander into your day on the phone or via email or in person with a set of circumstances that they need your help with. You're there for them. You're present. You show up. You're happy to help. They walk away feeling great and you feel depleted. You might feel foggy. You might feel a headache coming on. You might feel like you just can't quite focus in the same way. I want you just to notice, where have I become the zookeeper of somebody else's emotions? And how long will I continue to stay in this role, right? Just noticing, and this is really important as we talk about these six unofficial roles that many women are doing in addition to their job, you don't have to quit these willy-nilly immediately on the spot just because I spoke with you about them. But the first step here is to notice if you're doing them, right? Just notice if you're doing any of these. So role number one, The unofficial job women do is being the zookeeper of everyone else's emotions. Notice if there's some part of you that is constantly trying to help other people feel comfortable with their life experience or their life choices. Unofficial role number two that a lot of women do is manager of the interruption way station, right? And this is very much like the first example that we gave too, and that you are the person who is like the center for interruptions. When people have a fun new idea, they text you about it and they expect an immediate response or they send you an email and they expect you to get back to them right away. You are the person who is being interrupted on a regular basis while you're trying to do anything from make dinner to doing the laundry to running an errand. And this has become the norm. Somehow it has become entirely acceptable for people to request your attention and expect it at any given moment. Notice if you've become the manager of interruption way station, where all the things, the little things that need tending to for other people are cropping up throughout the day on a regular basis with the expectation that you are going to entertain or engage with those interruptions on a regular basis. Now, when we had Nancy Levin on the show to talk about boundaries, we talked about curing the knee-jerk yes with Nancy. That was back on episode 33. I cannot recommend that episode enough or Nancy's book on boundaries. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. She gave a great example of this. She had to create a boundary with her, with her mother because Nancy works from home during certain hours and her mother was used to giving her calls all throughout the day. Her mother has anxiety levels that cause her to reach out to other people to feel better throughout the day. And Nancy one day just had to get really clear with her mom. Hey, mom, I can take your calls 
after work, but between the hours of, and I can't remember the exact hours, but it was something like between the hours of 10 and 4 p.m., I'm not going to be able to take your calls anymore because I have to be able to get some work done during that time. So leave me a voicemail or call me after four either way, and I'll get right back to you. What was really important about Nancy's example was that she knew that just saying it wasn't going to be enough, that when her mom actually did call during work hours, she was the one, meaning Nancy was the one that was responsible for managing those interruptions, not for interacting with them, but for actually not answering her phone or not responding urgently to emails that came in and interrupted her when she had something else that needed being tended to. Now, it's easy to see the obvious way that time is lost or wasted when we have to suddenly tend to whatever the need of this interruption is. But there's actually some really fascinating research that I first heard about through a woman named Rachel Rogers, who has a great podcast. So I will put a link to Rachel Rogers in the show notes here. But she shared this study that was done by Gloria Mark over at the Department of Informatics at the University of California, Irvine. And Gloria's study, it's called The Cost of Interrupted Work. More speed and more stress. So we can see the obvious cost of how when somebody interrupts us now, that's a certain amount of time that we're spending helping them out. But we don't always see the unobvious cost of how long it takes for our brain to get back to doing what we were doing before the interruption. So when Gloria was asked about some of the findings in her research, she pointed out that we really have to completely shift our mental faculties once we're interrupted. And then it can take us a while to get back to what we were doing. So she found in her study that about 80% of the work that's interrupted, we usually resume on the same day. So we usually do go back to doing the work. However, the not so great news was that it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back into that task, into the same flow that we were in before we were interrupted. That's wild to think about, especially if you're interrupted, for example, just three times during the day. Right then and there, that's over an hour of time that is spent just on your brain trying to get back to the same state it was in before it was interrupted. So we can see how there's the cost of the interruption itself, and then there's the cost of having to get back to it. And so I just want to point this out. I think this is really important if you're wondering why you're not as sharp as you're used to being or you're wondering why certain things are taking you longer than you would like them to be. It can often be because of the interruptions themselves, that there's not something wrong with you, that there's something wrong with these interruptions, and it's time for us to consider what needs to happen to reduce the ones we can. So the third role that many women are doing unofficially is being the first responder to the person that always has emergencies, right? Maybe you've got a friend, a family member, a coworker that's chronically having emergencies. Their car is breaking down or they can't come into work on time for this reason or that reason. It's not the rare circumstance that happens for all of us when the unforeseen issue arises. But for the people who chronically find themselves in emergency situations, if you have become either their appointed or your own self-appointed first responder to their chronic emergencies, I want you to ask yourself if what you're doing is really in their best interest. If you are the rescuer, there's this really interesting thing that happens, especially if we rescue somebody again and again and again which is that while we are well-intended, while we mean to help them do better, 
what we're actually doing is reinforcing the narrative that they need to be saved and that they need somebody else, namely in this example, you, to be saving them, that they are not capable of learning how to take care of themselves the way you have learned to take care of yourself. And so we're actually enabling them to be in more emergency situations and more importantly, lack the confidence to realize that they too can figure out how to prevent things or handle them, heaven forbid, should they happen. So notice places where you might be being the first responder and ask yourself what type of role you want to continue doing or not in that area. All right, we're moving on to number four, and this one has another great piece of research that I wish somebody told me a lot sooner. So the fourth role that a lot of women are doing unofficially is being the fixer. And by fixer, I mean you're coming in, you're swooping in at the ninth hour to fix the mistakes that other people have made because they didn't plan ahead, they waited to the last minute, or they didn't listen to you when you suggested a lot earlier that they needed to pay attention. So I'll give an example of another client. They have these quarterly reports that are done in her office, and there were some team members that were just not preparing for the quarterly reports. And she used to be in the role of doing those reports. And so she pointed out to them, hey guys, in two months, we're gonna have to get these quarterly reports done. And I gotta tell you, they take way longer every year than I think they will. You really might wanna think about scheduling some time in advance, especially if you think you might have any questions. That way I can help out. But they didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. And lo and behold, now it's two days before the quarterly reports are due. They're totally underwater when they recognize how much needs to happen. And they're calling her for help, seeing if she can stay late and fix this work. And for years, she would say yes to this. She didn't want them to be high and dry. She didn't want to be the B word. She didn't want anybody to think that she didn't care. But she was resentful. And resentment is often the sign that we need to change something. We resent the other people is what we think. But what we're actually doing is we're resenting our own actions. We're resenting our own choices and not speaking up or having done something differently to prevent this in the first spot. And I want to point out, this is the interesting research that I think is really important here. This research comes to us from Patricia Hirsch, the paper she published is called Putting a Stereotype to the Test. And she studied the case of whether or not gender differences really impact our ability to multitask or not. Because there's a lot of myth out there that women are great multitaskers, that we're made for this, and that we can handle it with great diploma. But it turns out that multitasking is not something that one gender does better over the other at all. And this was across all experimental conditions. They did all sorts of controls in this study to see if they could find any area where one gender was better at multitasking than another. And it turns out that that widespread stereotype that women are made to multitask is entirely a myth, right? In fact, it might just be the kind of thing that if we are good at it, it's because we've had a lot of practice but more importantly, that it might be causing a lot of the same interruption fallout that we talked about in the earlier study. And so I just want you to notice if you're expected to be the sudden fixer, that if you expect yourself to be able to multitask and wear your hat and all the other hats at the same time, that you might actually be doing yourself a disservice. And of course, you're doing a disservice to the folks who are getting stuck in the cycle of thinking that they need to chronically be saved. All right, role number five 
is being the governor of other people's expectations for what you should be doing with your life. I'm going to say that one again. Being the governor of other people's expectations for what you should be doing with your life. This comes to us, I've seen this with many clients, but one client in particular, she's a grown woman. She's nearing 40 years old. And she finds that her family, because she lives a different lifestyle than they live, they have a really hard time with some of the choices that she makes. Even though she's a highly respected professional who's doing very well, who's delighted with herself, she noticed that every time she would be on the phone with them and she would be explaining a choice, a career move or a decision, that she'd say the choice and that didn't take very long. But then the rest of the phone call was her defending or coddling other people so that they understood where she was coming from. And the day she resigned from having to manage other people's expectations for what she should be doing with her life was the day that all of her interactions with her family got a lot easier. She no longer had to be the one that said what she was going to do and then defended it or modified it so that other people could respect or understand it. She was now the woman who was able to say what she was doing let other people have whatever reaction they were wanting, and she didn't have to babysit their expectations or alter what she was doing because of their expectations. So just notice if there's any place within your days where you're the governor of other people's expectations for what you should be doing with your life, and maybe that's a role that you could officially resign from. All right, here's the last one, and this one is a doozy. Odds are, if the last one is showing up for you, that you're seeing this show up in some of the other areas we've already talked about. This last role that a lot of women are doing is being the czar of being superhuman, meaning you are aiming for perfectionism on a regular basis. There is a deep need for you to not just do well, but do the best or do the most in any given role. So you might have, let's say your official position is you're the VP of marketing. But in addition to that, you're also the czar of being perfect. (laughs) So your presentations need to be perfect. The way you dress needs to be perfect. The way you speak needs to be perfect. The way you do or don't express emotions need to be perfect for the situation. And you can see how all of this needing to do it perfect is a job upon your actual job. And this need for perfectionism is absolutely what can lead to us trying to be the zookeeper of everyone else's emotions or be the manager of the interruption way station or being the first responder to the people that has emergencies or the fixer or the governor of other people's expectations because we're trying to do it all and not just do it all, but do it all perfectly. Now, remember that foundational mindset that we talked about at the beginning of learning to discern what it is that you value and then remembering that you are not your thoughts. You are the one hearing them. And so if you're hearing a lot of thoughts about how you should be doing things better, about how they need to be perfect or they need to be the most or you need to knock it out of the park with every single email you send or every birthday party you throw or every card you put in the mail, just notice how much energy that's taking, right? And if there's a way to begin to resign even just 1% from the role of being the perfection czar, what that could look like. 
So a quick recap. We've got the zookeeper of everyone else's emotions. We've got the manager of the interruption way station. We've got the first responder to the person that always has emergencies. We've got the fixer of everybody else's mistakes, the governor of others' expectations for you, and then, of course, the czar of being superhuman. Just notice if any of those are relatable. You should know this. You are not alone if you are doing any of these tasks Some of them you might have self-appointed yourself to. Some of them other people might have legitimately expected you to do. And it is okay. In fact, it is more than okay. It is essential that you begin to consistently resign from those roles if they aren't your actual job, if you're going to do your actual job. Because in addition to your career, you actually only have one main role in this lifetime. And the term for this role comes to us from a woman named Chris Carr. She calls it being the CEO of Save My Own Ass Technologies. <laughs> now, Chris gave us this really playful title that we might dare promote ourselves to, but it comes from an actually a pretty deep place. Chris was diagnosed with a serious form of cancer and realized that she was going to have to do the fight of her lifetime to heal, to even stay on the planet, much less do any of the other work that she needed to do. And she realized that she was going to have to promote herself to being the CEO of doing the research that needed to get done in order for her body to heal. Because the doctors she was going to see, some were great, some were not. And they didn't have answers for her exact situation that were going to work for her body that she believed were going to allow her to heal And so she had to become an advocate for herself. She had to learn to speak up for what she needed to make sure that she was living and breathing on the planet. And thank goodness, in Chris's situation, it worked out. It doesn't work out for all of us, but for some of us who are blessed enough to do the fight of a lifetime and continue to live, we know that it is essential that we are advocates for our own well-being. So if the mindset that is invaluable is that we understand that we cannot liquidate ourselves in order to take care of other people. Then on the flip side of that, it makes complete sense that the role you can promote yourself to is CEO of saving your own ass technologies, meaning looking at what do you need in order to do your work well. Not just expecting yourself to do the work well and beating yourself up if it doesn't happen, but actively looking at what's getting in the way of that. For example, perhaps some of these six roles we've just spoken about, or if there's other things that you need in order to live into the goals that you have. There is a difference between being needy and having needs. And we all have needs. None of us are self-made. I can't tell you this will be the last story for this episode. But I remember traveling with one particular client who was very famous, well-known, and I would be on the side of the stage for every sold-out performance in every stadium. And at the end of every show, they would thank the audience and talk about what a self-made man they were. And it drove me crazy because while they're talking about being a self-made man, I'm making all of their coaching appointments. Somebody else is cooking their meals. Somebody else picked out their wardrobe. Somebody else is doing the lighting and the sound and the backup band. There would be over four gigantic Mack trucks who would carry all of their equipment from venue to venue. Hundreds and hundreds of people were involved in making that show happen. There's no such thing as being self-made. But there is such a thing at deciding 
that you will be the CEO of making sure that you have access to the resources that allow you to get where you want to go. So I want to know from you, what is one part of this episode that's really landing, that's standing out to you? Is it one of these six roles or is it some other thought that's bubbling up for you? Let me know. Post it on iTunes in a review so we can keep this conversation going or tag me on social media. Remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value and letting go of what you don't. And I will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.